Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Join me tonight, we welcome Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Good evening, all. And we also welcome back from Lore Sworn Order, TJ Haver. Hello. And finally, we welcome back our friend, uh, PC Gaming Pro Console, <laughs> Rowan Kaiser. Good evening. Sorry. Games beats PC gaming pro console. I should be I should be clear. Uh, although if your campaign goes well in PC gaming, who knows what will happen when you and your legions return to return to games beat. Uh, so as you may have guessed, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, what we talk about when we talk about Rome, uh, basically. And this topic is inspired by the announcement of a new paradox strategy game, uh, Imperator Rome. But there's not much, we don't know very much about that game yet, and if we did, we certainly couldn't have Troy around to talk about it. Uh, so this is more of a discussion of just what Rome means in popular memory, uh, what it has meant in game design as a topic across war games, city managers, uh, empire builders, and uh, what it has meant in terms of how popular history has regarded it uh, across across the ages. So that's kind of what we're going to be discussing and the very, and the various meanings and contexts uh, that Rome has taken on or had impressed upon it uh, by different people throughout history. And uh, I guess, you know, try, well, I guess we'll start with you because I, I think in general, you've been historically the most interested in, in Rome as a theme in, in Rome as a topic. Um, what, what when when you think of like Rome, what are the what are the immediate things that uh, a game or a movie like what what needs what needs to be evoked for you for something to feel like Rome? Well, I mean, because I know a lot about the subject, what I expect is probably very different from what most people expect. But you know, when you talk about the popular image of Rome, you have people expect legions in red cloaks. They want to have marble buildings. Uh, they want to have gladiators uh, duking it out. Uh, Rome is, the popular image of Rome has in large part been formed by a, a few things, uh, by the, 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 the Bible, by a few uh, sources that have survived, and by Hollywood 1950 to 1970. Um, that's where most people get their ideas of what Rome is. Now, of course, since then we've had other things, you know, we have... Uh, I, Claudius, we have HBO's Rome, but the popular image of Rome still, I think, uh, especially in games, is tied very much to military and marble. It's to architecture and armies. Uh, that is what Rome is. You look at um, Rome and look, look at civilization games, and if Rome, the Roman civilization has special abilities, they are super swordsmen and usually something connected to buildings. Uh, for example, they can build buildings faster, or they can build stronger walls, or they get a free building somewhere, um, and they're tied to roads. The idea of what Rome is is very much tied to the culture that built stuff it's, and that conquered stuff. Um, so a Roman game has to evoke some of that. Now, me, as a Roman as an amateur classicist who has like 300 books on ancient history and is already groaning shelves. You know, there's. I'm about politics. I'm about Cicero more than Caesar. I'm 
think that uh, Livius Drusus is a very, very interesting character we should know more about. And I hope you all go and Google Livius Drusus, Tribune for the year 91 BC, uh, whose murder, uh, and when he was, he was trying to promote uh, ex expansion of the citizenship to the Italians, he was assassinated, and then you get a civil war in Italy with all the Italian war allies taking on Rome. I think, you know, that political story is much more interesting than the traditional paint-the-map uh, approach of many Roman strategy games or Roman city builders. But, you know, Re Republic of Rome is a great board game, would make a terrible computer game. Rowan, why do you think people return to, like, there have been tons of ancient empires. Uh, why is Rome the constant reference point? Uh, what 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 is it about everyone since Rome having sort of been drawn to Rome as an exemplar as a sort of precursor that people want to claim some sort of either like literal descendancy from or some sort of ideological kinship with? There's a, a Stephen Jay Gould quote about why people are obsessed with dinosaurs as opposed to any other you know extinct species, and his his response was they're big and they're dead. Um, and I think for that's that's a lot of what Rome is. For Rome was really big for a long time. <laughs> Rome died, and like for the Western canon, Rome was you know the bulk of the world, except for the parts that TJ's into. Uh, and eventually, we realized <laughs> that you know the Mongols might have had a bigger empire, and China's empires were comparable in many ways. And uh, you know there there are various empires throughout history that have been as or you know, close to as inspiring to their re regions as Rome was, but, you know, we're, we're Western descended here um, just by be virtue of being American, not by our races, although that's probably true as well. Uh, so, you know, we, we have this thousands of years of continuity of people being either super into Rome or super not into Rome, but either way, it's been kind of a defining feature of European uh, conception of itself just because it was so big for so long in the places where the Europeans were trying to define themselves. And, and, and Rome is kind of the proto-modern state. I mean, most of us, when we were young, we learned that, you know, Rome was this great, amazing civilization, and then there were the Dark Ages. Then there was kind of nothing until, you know, the Renaissance. Uh, the Middle Ages happened, and there were knights, and there were crusades. But, you know, Rome was this great big shining moment. It was the big empire. It had great advances, and then they were lost. And the Renaissance rediscovered all of this stuff. Um, Rome is where we get historical characters that kind of stand out and seem three-dimensional compared to the characters of Herodotus or Thucydides. Where you get, you know, Cicero's letters, and you get Caesar writing the accounts of, writing the accounts of his own battles. Um, so you have this very modern, contemporary feel to it. Now, we've, we've learned that the Dark Ages and Middle Ages were actually just fine. They weren't, like, <laughs> they, were, they, they weren't really bleak moments of despair. But that myth, I think, continues. And I think that's one reason that Rome is something people hearken back to as a setting. TJ? I've been sort yes. of hesitating to, to pass the <laughs> microphone over to you. Um, but I, I think... Stay on topic. I, I think in, in various con other conversations we've had, both on the show and elsewhere, you've tended to 
I think, regard Rome a little more critically and a little bit more from the perspective of people who lived beyond uh, the outer markers of the, the empire, the kind of people who lived uh, north of Hadrian's Wall or northeast of the Agri Decumates, for instance. Um, and I'm yeah. curious what you see when you look at Rome and people's affection for Rome from that perspective. Well, yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm interested in Rome primarily as is from sort of like a peri-Roman history perspective, where it's you know the Roman frontier is very interesting to me. I'm I'm definitely in terms of you know historical study. I am a Celtophile. I'm a Germanophile. The Celtic-speaking world, the Germanic-speaking world, are kind of my primary interest areas, um, particularly during the period you know, during and immediately after Rome. So to me, they're kind of like they're history's version of the Galactic Empire. That's kind of how I see them. They're this this giant uh, kind of terrifying, heavy armored um, marching tide of doom, um, which I know is my my own romanticization of the situation. It wasn't that clear cut. Um, but that's kind of how I, you know, I like to root for the underdogs. I like to root for the tribesmen hiding out in the woods, you know, trying to gather their allies. And, you know, how are we going to how are we going to face this oncoming tide of Caesar? And uh, we're you know going to make our desperate last stand at Alesia. Like that's that's the kind of stuff that that uh, gets me going, so to speak. Like something that I think about a lot, because. <clears throat> It is striking to me the degree to which people have, like, sympathized with and then tried to, like, emulate uh, aspects of the Roman Empire. The, the you know, adoption of its iconography. Uh, the fact that Napoleon, like, at some, like to a certain degree, starts setting up, like, legion, legionary eagle standards, uh, you know, for, uh, for, for the Grand Armée. Uh, the fact that a lot of powers that rose in the centuries after Rome fell uh, kind of view themselves as inheritors of that tradition. And I think a lot of that, a lot of that always strikes to me as there's this very powerful idea that Rome represents this long period of success at holding back chaos. Uh, and a lot of that comes from this idea that while once Rome fell, yes, we were descended into this dark age hellscape and it was like Mad Max for sure. Totally. Uh, and we know that was bullshit. We know that's not how those periods were, but this idea persisted and it's certainly to a degree how the Romans regarded things as the empire sort of got a little long in the tooth and those borders became more porous and Roman political life increasingly becomes about trying to hold back uh, the inevitable, trying to figure out uh, who you can deal with and who needs to be regarded as an existential threat uh, to, to the empire. But when I look at Rome, I, I, I tend to, it is, it's, it is fascinating to me how early in Roman history an obsession over limitations begins to creep into its policy, right? Like the fact that, you know, in Brit in Roman Britain, in uh, Germany, in the East, uh, you know, in, in the Levant and, and East of there, 
Roman politics increasingly becomes about trying to figure, like, to a degree, trying to figure out uh, where can you hold the line? How can you finally, uh, for once and for all, pay, like, deal with the threats that, that lurk beyond the border? And I think for a lot of reasons, primarily reasons I suspect are, 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 are somewhat negative, uh, I think a lot of people are drawn to that story as well. This idea of Rome being the place of order and civilization in a world that is always poised to slide back into barbarism if only the people out beyond the borders uh, are not kept in check, if only the strong central authority of the empire is not uh, respected. And I think that's kind of the, like one of the weird and creepy underbellies of uh, Rome's popularity in historical fiction. And it's funny to me because even a lot of like, you know, Troy, when you're talking about the way Rome is depicted in movies, the critique of Rome is basically being a hedonistic exploitative uh, abusive hellhole is definitely in a lot of those movies, and yet mm-hmm. there's still kind of this like gushing. But isn't it cool? Uh, it's it's very interesting. Like even even the things that try to be a bit critical and tr- and want to suggest that you should be a bit repelled by the Romans end up being utterly fascinated and obsessed with how special their decadence is. Even oh, even the holiest, most biblical sword and sandal Roman movie took time for a 12-minute sexy dance. Like, a <laughs> sexy dance number right in the middle. You have to have that, because sexy dances are hedonistic, and boy, do they look great. And, yeah, there's this... That the civilization was kind of cool, and you know, kind of worth, worth it. This, the, the attraction of the metropolis. Um, and that's kind of what Rome is. It is the metropolis that brings everything to it. Now, it's interesting that you talk about, you know, Rome as the holding, uh, holding back the tides of chaos. But certainly it was. I mean, it's, uh, or, or how it saw itself. I mean, there's, as the great uh, historical documentary uh, Gladiator said, you know, uh, there, was, <laughs> there, there was once a dream that was Rome. You could only whisper it. You know, Richard Harris doing his best, Marcus Aurelius, and what I think is one of the worst uh, Oscar winners of all time, um, <laughs> but uh, there's, there's this idea that we tend to translate our own ideas back on Rome. Like it's easy for it's common for Americans to think, "Oh, America is a special country; it is a destiny; it is an idea," and this gets translated back into the past. And if you like, if you go to the Roman Republic, they're going to say Romans are special. They're not going to say Rome is an idea or a dream. Like the Republic isn't some amazing gift they're exporting to the world it's just what their government and it's special and it's for us because romans are special the roman empire isn't it's just another empire it's grabbing shit but then when you get you know towards the end of the empire certainly and and definitely once you know christianity has given the empire kind of a unifying uh a new unifying idea you have the idea of what you have a conception of rome as standing for so always western rome standing for something um but if you go back, but my favorite period is the Republic, when Rome is, and I think a lot of games are interested in Rome the Expander, not Rome the Gateway. Um, you have exceptions. You have, you know, Attila. We have maybe John Schaefer's at the gate that, that ever gets finished. Uh, you have other, you know, late Empire-type games. But most 
Roman-themed games, are a, want to take you through, you know, the highlights of Rome being big through the Punic Wars, through the expansion East. It's not about Ro, Roman-themed games are very rarely about order holding back chaos. It is about seeking out stuff and breaking yeah. it and breaking it. That is what Roman games are only about. Now, Roman city builders even tend to have this theme because you will build a... I look at the Caesar games. You know, you start building cities close to Italy and then you start building cities further and further out where there are less and less resources. It becomes more about trade and also more about military stuff. Uh, so the idea is Rome is the, is, is the grabber and that tends to be the theme you see mostly in games, I think. Well, I think there's kind of this this appealing idea of adventure to it as well. Like if if I'm playing a game that features Rome and I'm not playing Rome, obviously my goal is to hold back the tide of Rome. But when I when I flip it, when I'm playing Rome, uh, I think what has appealed to me most, especially about, you know, I think back to even the original Rome Total War, is this idea that you've got this you know group of uh, you know maniples from Italy together, and, and you're going to go out to some places that like no one from your part of the world has ever seen before and kind of have these adventures in the, the, you know, dark and forbidding expanse of, you know, Europe and, you know, landing on Britain for the first time is always a cool and significant moment in those types of games. This just kind of this idea that you're discovering the world and bringing light to it, I think is a very appealing historical fantasy. Well, there's a fantasy of colonization, which undergirds a lot of games of figuring out, you know, yeah. you, you you explore the dark area and you make it yours. And that comes through both, like, the mastery in the game's mechanics of, you know, building a city or taking over a city if it's a Total War game. Uh, and also in terms of how you as the player get those mechanics. And when those two things are in sync, that tends to work really well for games. And that also leads to some interesting and occasionally difficult historical issues like celebrating the empires who grab the most and disregarding the people that they've displaced as they do that. There's also an element of... Something I find interesting in that is this idea that Rome is going out into the darkness and uh, bringing the light, bringing, uh, bringing, bringing civilization and stability. Well, but it's, all, but it's, also, it's also going to other civilizations. That's, that's I mean. where I was, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Go no, ahead. because, like, the, it's weird because I don't think the Romans viewed the world that way. Like, if you go back and you read, uh, for instance, like Caesar on his Gallic campaigns, a huge amount of those accounts is about the dynamics of really small groups of different like uh, Celtic Gaul tribes and the various beef that existed between them. And like <laughs> the Romans were, well, your better Roman conquerors were very attuned uh, to this kind of stuff. The world was not an empty place. There's this idea that, well, the Romans journeyed forth into you know the the still barbaric parts uh, of Europe, but I'm not like I'm not entirely sure the Romans regarded it that way when they went up against tribal peoples. They tend to at least somewhat try to learn the political landscape they were walking into, and that is even more the case when you talk about uh, where I think you were going, Troy. 
when they turn like east toward uh you know Epirus or uh southwest toward like Carthage uh that the Romans are keenly aware of the political contexts that surround them and the fact that there are in fact other civilizations and other state actors uh, out there it's the Roman expansion east and I can I highly recommend Eric Gruen's uh the Hellenistic world and the coming of Rome I just think it's a brilliant uh two-volume book about uh, how weird and idiosyncratic Roman expansion was. But they, they, they go into Greece, and the Greeks are, in their view and in the view of the Romans, oppressed by the Macedonians. Uh, so the Romans come in and break some brains in, and Flamininus, the victorious general, has this great big ceremony and declares the Greek cities are now free to do whatever they want as long as they ask Rome what to do. Sort of thing. They aren't provinces or anything, but Rome's going to be like watching over them. Eventually, they end up becoming provinces and the like. But there's this; they have this debt to Greece. Greece is their civilization. The Greeks had settled in South Italy. The Greek influence in Rome was very, very strong. Uh, and you know, the East is where the money was. Um, but they have, so they have very, very different policies and very different expectations. I mean, Carthage that was a that was a revenge match. That was a there was they weren't going there for resources. They were going there to to effectively murder that city. Uh, the Second Punic War drive it broke, and the Third Punic War destroyed it utterly. Um, that was a mission of revenge, which as I think strategy gamers understand, that is a that is a blood Perhaps loss well. we all have. It's a bloodlust we all have deep, deep in our soul. Um, and, you know, I look at, and I think the Second Punic Wars, I mean, it's interesting, and it's just, it's a, look at it as a game level, the Second Punic Wars. Look at the Punic Wars in general. They're great on a strategic level, but, man, do we prefer to t- do the tactical stuff. <laughs> like, there aren't a lot of great strategic games about the strategic problems of Rome, about the strategic problems of the Punic War. You'll have... The Battle of Cannae, and you have Zama, and you have these battles done in you know different different war game type things, um, but you try to do this in you know, a total war game, and the strategic problem never manifests, it never never appears, so you don't get to see you know can you hold out, um, because it's such an idiosyncratic, weird little you know Hannibal wants to burn Rome to the ground, and Rome wants to burn Carthage to the ground. Um, and I, th- I think this is one of the problem, one of the challenges of translating any history uh, to strategy games, especially grand strategy games, is the interesting the interesting problems very rarely manifest unless you force them. Um, and I think that's really an issue with you know a lot of the Roman expansion stuff, where it just becomes in many cases, let's just paint the map this color. We'll have legions do it, and we'll march around and do things, and occasionally events will pop up. Which is fun. I love that. I love the setting. Um, but, you know, I always want more because I'm well, greedy. Here, here's a question because this is something I was thinking about. Like, is one of the reasons we tend not to see that strategic context pop up as much as we might like uh, because so often our vision of Rome tends to be very flattening? Um, and I, I mean that in a couple levels. Like, for one... I think we tend to compress way too much Roman history uh, into large chunks. Like games cover uh, the Republic up to the establishment of uh, Augustus's, you know, Imperium. Well, that's a huge goddamn swath of 
of, yeah. of territory, <laughs> historical territory you're covering. And Rome's context, Rome's strategic landscape and political context change multiple times over the course of that period. But we tend to see games, uh, you know, like the, to the Total War games explicitly have embraced this divide. Like, re like historically, repeatedly, they've done this, where either it's, you know, pre-Augustan Rome or it's, well, actually, they tend to go straight from the end of the Roman Republic and then uh, both Barbarian Invasion and Attila are about sort of the dying days of the Western Empire. But, but nevertheless, like, we compress so much time that the details of what made those struggles so epic and so like culturally important important for uh you know the roman memory those things tend to get lost because you 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 are building a system that basically is becoming about turning the map red uh from you know 300 bc up through uh you know uh you know 40 44 ad uh 44 bc thereabouts um like for me that that seems like one of the major issues because roman politics and its changing position in the world just kind of the contours of that get completely flattened when we deal with just massive swaths of roman history well, this is kind of one of the big issues in games is the, this flattening that you're talking about, particularly in strategy games, because um, all these things that strategy games are trying to model politically are like hybrids. It's something is changing very slowly or something changes very quickly and then everything slowly kind of catches up to that. Uh, you don't, at a, at a political level, I'm talking about like um, in civilization, you conquer a city, that city is now in your borders and you can control it and maybe the city is like, inefficient for a while or maybe the city might rebel depending on which civilization or expansion you have if you don't like stick some troops in it but the city goes from not yours with zero control to yours with a hundred percent or ninety percent control and it's not there's not an element of you have to you know convince the leading families of the city to embrace you there's not an element of uh you have to make sure that the trade that you have denied this city is now coming through to this city so that they will like you. And this is, the games are good at having you killed this person or you didn't kill this mm -hmm. person as a switch. It's a zero or a one. And this is why the new Paradox game is reasonably exciting because a game like Crusader Kings can, you know, complicate things. And this is one of the things that I see with Rome a lot is that it needs complicating. Um, I used to work with... Uh, one of the late incarnations of the Rome Total Realism mod oh, uh, for I the original Rome thing. Total War. Yeah, yeah. The, the, there's the big one that everyone played. I played like I was involved in one that came after that, um, and this had like actual historians trying to dig up all the specific, you know, how these civilizations that weren't Roman would would have looked. Oh man, your uh, forum not, threads must have been insufferable. Uh, <laughs> most of this was actually in private, so that was good. And they like they said you have to like have a PhD in history to join in this role. Uh, we're not we're not taking randos. Sorry. Nice. Um, but you know, one of the things they found was all of these societies were roughly as complex as Rome was, and it's just that history has flattened them into like quote barbarians unquote. Uh, 
but and this is a thing that you see throughout history when you know people go and look up the archaeology of uh, Native American civilizations pre-Columbus. Those are complex civilizations at a level that might be comparable to Europe. It's just that when we saw them later as things to be conquered, as markers in the path of becoming the grand empire, that's when they just become, you know, barbarians on the civilization map. Um, and like. It's way more interesting to try to get into the idea of all these things are roughly equivalently complex. The problem is that, you know, is a lot harder to program than my legion killed their legion, therefore I get this city. Yeah, but, the, but Rome Total Realism had a lot of issues with, with pacing. It was not a good game. You know, there were too many cities. Uh, okay, okay, okay hold two, on. Hold on. Yeah. There are, two different, there are two different oh, Rome okay. Total Realism things. Are you talking about the first one, the one they built in that engine? Uh, that that was the people I worked with moving on to that. Okay. So there's this Rome Total Realism that's the one that almost certainly that you played, which was Probably. basically an attempt to redo the Rome Total War as something slightly more realistic. And it was a lot more interesting and didn't have Egyptian chariots, which I'm sure we'll talk about very soon. Uh, it had many problems as well. The one that I worked on was Rome Total Realism 7, which came after which were people tried to do mini campaigns. The first oh, okay. one was the uh, uh, Carthaginian conquest of Spain. The second one, which is the one that I played the most, is called Fate of Empires. And this was just like the Western Mediterranean um, with only six factions, two Gallic factions, a Spanish faction. I think I played that. Yeah, yeah. it was I did, really I, I did, good. I did, I did not, I did not yeah, play that. Yeah, that sounds not really Yeah, it was really good. It was the best Rome... Rome Total War thing that I had played. They got the battle pacing down like to a T. Better than a seven, yeah. you think? Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I give it like a seven point three. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then the one that I worked on was the one after that, which was their attempt to do a uh, more of a grand campaign. But even then, they weren't going all the way to the east. They I, they were stopping, I think, in Asia Minor. Uh, they weren't getting all huh. the way into. Syria and Palestine and all those. So that was still a more constrained map because they wanted to have the relative complexity. Then they made a bunch of design decisions that I didn't like, so I bailed. But TJ, have you written uh, about this anywhere? Sorry, not TJ. Rowan, have you written about this anywhere? I don't think so. I think I've referenced it a few times. But like, I would be fascinated to like. That sounds like a really interesting project to have been involved with, and I'm really curious. Like, so did did this group of people like reach the conclusion in real time that like shit, we need to break this up. Like, this topic cannot be one, um, one game that embraces all this territory and all this, all this history. Yes, and that's because the first Rome Total Realism, the one that ended at 6, promised a 7, or a VII, uh, that was going to do everything. This was going to be the grand mega Rome campaign that you always wanted. And there were, like, plans where if you start as the Persians, yeah. then the 20 nations that are around you are, like the 20 nations around Persia um, and not, it's not the same 20 each time. So that it'll have the most interesting early game for where you go. So that thing collapsed in like a huge flaming pit of misery. So the one that I worked on was Rome total realism seven with the Arabic numeral to distinguish it from the, the VII. Uh, and it was Called specifically Eastern Rome total realism empire. <laughs> And it was specifically these small campaigns because it was so difficult to 
a make the game and to to actually have it seem to be reasonably historical um so the uh the time scale of the fate of empires was about a hundred uh in 20 years or so instead of the like 300 years of all the rome total wars um and then the time scale of the the rome total realism 7 the big one that i I quit on was uh up until about like 90 bc and not supposed to cover the whole civil war thing and not supposed to cover you know pompeii actually conquering much of the east because it's getting to the point where it's like the marian reforms and that era is is the culmination and that's what worked with how they were trying to to develop that game and that makes more sense so this is something we've talked about this show a lot uh with is that a lot of these historical strategy games that try to cover too much like civilization end up flattening end up kind of being unsatisfying because the very specific mechanics that might have led to the Punic Wars being super interesting as a campaign are really difficult to make in a game that's not just the Punic Wars. I, I think you should, you should pitch an article and write about this, this modding experience. He's his own editor. I, He's perhaps. the pro-consul of PC gaming. <laughs> he can do what he wants. Yeah, I know he can. He should pitch jason or someone i mean this is this is actually an interest i'm fascinated by mods so even though even though i never play them i'm always fascinated yeah. by people and the politics of like really large like pseudo famous mods are really interesting to me too yeah well the the fate of empires one is great that's like one of the main reasons i consider the rome total war my favorite total war game um so it's all right, fine. Let's do it, this. It gets exactly what I want. <laughs> all right. Let's, yeah. All right. Let's get into white next no. week. No, actually, I'm going to start off. I'm going to break character here, and right. I'm going to say nice things about Rome. Um. So Rome Total War. I think something I do look back fondly on, particularly because I saw it later, like poorly implemented in Rome 2 and so I realized like <laughs> retroactively I was like shit that was actually way better in Rome 1 a video game <laughs> <laughs> yes the game no uh in particular in particular the civil war and the growing feeling that Rome is an array of weapons that will eventually be turned against itself right or or each other um something i like something that has stayed with me about rome one and i think it is important to evoking rome is this idea that as the republican empire is growing richer stronger it is also getting much more volatile uh that as the various like as the empire is sort of snowballing out of control and the people overseeing that expansion and enrichment are becoming increasingly powerful and influential. The entire system is getting much more volatile and you never know the moment in Rome one when this is all going to blow up, but it is going to blow up and eventually it's going to be civil war time and the game totally flips. Um, a lot of the problem, a lot of grand strategy games uh, face when talking about Rome and Rome too, I think total like ne- really did not find find a satisfying answer for this is that if you're treating Rome as a state actor, a lot of those really compelling 
domestic politics um, kind of disappear. And Rome won, even though it wasn't a perfect solution to a lot of things, and I take a lot of issues with the, the overall game design, it did get that part mostly right. This idea that Rome is going to sort of, <laughs> it's going to devour some of its most successful uh, leadership at some point. And you have to be ready for that. And if that goes away, I think Rome becomes a much less interesting, like it does become that game just about painting the map red. And then you're an empire like any other, but you lose a lot of, I think the drama that is sort of implied by the Roman theme. Yeah. Well, and that's why I've always said my ideal Rome game, you wouldn't be playing as Rome. Rome would be where you are playing, not what you are playing. I would still love to see a game that even, even goes beyond Crusader Kings because Crusader Kings, you're always kind of a top level ruler of something uh, my ideal Rome game would be kind of like a, a down in the alleyways politicking sort of thing where, you know, you, you start out maybe as this, you know, scion of a patrician family and you have to see how far you can go and you have to decide ultimately if you want to upend the Republic to, you know, further your own ambitions. Like, I think that that would be great in the sense that you would have all of these smaller actors that are nudging Rome. And, like, Rome's going to happen. Like, Rome's going to blob out. Rome's going to spread itself across the map. But there could be stuff going on in the East you're not even really concerned with because that's some other general and, you know, you're keeping an eye on him because you don't want him to get, you know, more prestigious than you are. But, you know, you might not even be involved with whatever he's doing over there. Because I think when you model Rome in that way, where Rome is more of a setting than it is the embodiment of the player character i think you can do a lot more with that that kind of nitty-gritty political stuff that's really what makes rome so interesting in in a lot of ways um one of the things that i've talked about about how ancient world games could or should look is that i think the most interesting thing they can do is have like a robust governor system where the people in charge of whatever province is and this isn't in this isn't i actually came up with this when trying to think about how to do a game for Persia because its satraps were so important in just like, oh, they're randomly mm -hmm. going to try to invade Greece. Um, and then, you know, when you get into the part where the Roman Republic begins to collapse, you know, the these people are associated with very specific geographic regions and often have the titles to go along with that. So, you know, you have Pompey coming in from the east and Caesar coming in from Gaul. Uh, but you know, just this feeling of these are individuals with ambitions scattered throughout these regions and possibly embodying them or not makes a lot more sense to me than this is a single state because like Roman history is not the history of a single state except in the most very literal sense. It's the history of a bunch of actors and weird actions that happened upon them that coalesced into an empire that that region had never seen. I mean, Rome kind of is the original snowball effect. It is a it is a nation that is painting the map until it gets so big that historians are more interested in the government and politics. Like we, 
don't know a whole lot what's going on when Scipio and Emilius Paulus are having their campaigns. We know a little bit about their senatorial politics, but not a whole lot because historians care about, hey, they're conquering Carthage and they're conquering Macedonia. Isn't that cool? It's only when Rome becomes the unbeatable end boss that, you know, there's not, you can't talk about a whole lot of wars. Like the, the, the Mithridatic Wars, which went on forever, how much do we know about that of the wars themselves? Not a ton. We know about Lucullus building his gardens and getting involved in his machinations back in Rome. We know about Pompey angling for the for the command, getting the people to vote him to take over Lucullus's spot so he can do it, undo everything Lucullus did to reward his followers. We know all, much more about the governmental stuff once the government become, once the empire becomes the empire. Uh, once there's no more map left to paint until Caesar says, hey, you, you missed a spot there in the north. Um, and then he goes looking for it and killing a few million of the bastards. Um, but beyond, but even then, you know, a lot of that, we have a story of the campaigns, and it very quickly gets turned into, oh, he's going to use this to turn it against his enemies back in Rome. Um, it becomes an in, what becomes, is, what starts as this external story of Rome getting big becomes this internal story. And we see this too reflected, you know, in film and in another, and, in, and we see this reflected in games to an extent because, you know, you don't, have, you don't have the Civil War at the start of the game. You have to get so, certainly so big before the Civil War can happen when you might still be fighting a war in, in Iberia, but now you're so big, all your, all your, your home-based enemies have to take you on. Uh, it's not something that happens early. Um, and that's because that's how it was historically. Uh, and you look at, you know, uh, films and they're, they're, it's all of, you only can care about what's going on back at the home court when there's not some major crisis going on outside. Um, so they're, they're two very, very different games. And this is a tension, I think. And one reason why I don't think, I don't think, why I think Rome 2 really falls apart, and, <laughs> despite their efforts, is they try to have this these domestic families and, you know, you're appointing people and there's rivalries and the like, and it never comes together really well because that's not what Rome, that's not what Total War games are about. And they've never been about that. Uh, that's why Rome 1 is better because it has, it just has, bang, you have a, a Senate which gives you missions, you gain popularity with, then bang, you're too big, everyone wants to take you And down. the other families, it's a brute force solution, but the other families are just, other, like, Rome is split into three factions on the map. Yeah. You're all force yeah. allied with each other forever. So, like, Rome is growing, but, like, the Brutii are growing separately from the Julii. Um, yeah. And... Which is wrong, because it should be Junii, not Brutii. You go by the Nomen, yeah, not the Cognomen. But people know who Brutus is, so obviously they have and to the, chant. Julia weren't even like really that important. <laughs> anyway, uh, the Cornelii—that's <laughs> now that's a family. The Cornelia, yeah, but they come, but they call them the Scipii, which is even worse. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> you know, the other funny thing—I was thinking about this though. Like, Total War treats it as like, oh man, like once the Civil War happens, like it's this impending thing, like the Civil War is coming, like who knows what's going to look like. It's this very um, 
I think there's a couple things with that. One is a bit of rearward projection onto like, oh, they must have all known that this system was going to come apart any day now. And like some had their suspicions, but there were also a lot of people who really thought like post-Sulla that like, yeah, we've pretty much, we've plugged the holes in the ship. Like, you know, we're, we're going to be fine. We just need to, uh, you know, for this thing to hold together a little longer and uh, we'll be okay. But the other aspect of it is, this idea that the Civil War is immediately going to, like, from a gameplay perspective, is going to result in this really decisive, pol- like, transformation of the political order, political order. But, like, if you look at the late Republic, mm, they had a few of them. They, they had a few uh, Civil Wars where, like, Roman Romans are confronting each other, and each time they, they get bigger... Uh, you know, as e- each time it happens, but it's surprising the degree to which like those early civil wars just end up trying to, in some ways, reset the status quo or patch over a longstanding like dispute. And it's not until you know the last of them that that finally like the the system is is finally broken beyond repair. But it, it's funny, like in the in the game sense, there's this idea that like the Civil War is this looming catastrophe uh, that informs late Republican life, and once it happens, that's the t- that's the moment that uh, the Empire will be formally ushered in. That is the that is the end point of, of the Civil War, uh, and it's a lot of um, rearward projection, like of historical like determinism, into. A system is a lot more dynamic and unclear to its participants. There's that binary again. Yeah. It's, it's pretty unavoidable. I think that's, that that kind of goes hand in hand with a lot of strategy games, where you know you want to have if you want to have an end game and a big yeah. end game and an historical end game, you're going to be you know going for that. Like if you're if you're playing Civilization, you want to have some deserts and some tundra in your empire because that's where the oil is going to be. Even though they suck as territory, um, it might not. They'll be it'll be useless for like eighty percent of the game. But you know you have tanks coming, so to do that you need to grab this land. Um, and I think that that's kind of the issue with games in general. Um, but yeah, there is. I mean, your analysis of the Republic is, like, I think, right. There was no guarantee that. You know, if, if Caesar hadn't been murdered, would he have done what Sulla did and just retired with his newly remade constitution and hoped his successors didn't undo it instead of, you know, getting killed and then Octavian fights, you know, two more civil wars and, you know, sets up his uh, his uh, dictatorship, his monarchy, uh, in effect. Um, and yet there were, there are lots of ways that there's no guarantee Rome would... The other counterfactual, of course, is it doesn't have to be Rome, right? I mean, we think of these. I mean, it never would have been, you know, TJ's Germanic hordes getting together and teaming up. For, <laughs> Except teaming that up it for was anything, teaming up for anything. They were uh, the yeah, ones who ultimately is, did it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. After five hundred years <laughs> Got of, 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 of decadence. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, there was no reason that you know. Uh, Antiochus couldn't have pulled it all together from the east, or that you know Hannibal could have won that war um, if he had a little bit more support from home, um, and that would have been a very very different history. I mean, 
the Carthaginians weren't that the, the Barcas were into you know conquest or at least in vassalage, but the Carthaginians really weren't. You know, most of their soldiers were mercenaries. They were really into just building colonies and good old fashioned Phoenician trade. Uh, so, a very very different history. Um, and it's a, in that but, timeline, I always say that Carthage ruined everything. Carthage, yeah, well, I probably would have. <laughs> but you know, this is this goes back to the problem with, and we we talked about this uh, earlier. We talked about. Um, Civilization and uh, the Poundmaker Crees issues with being attached to a game, which is a culture that, you know, games have a culture which isn't in line with the Poundmaker Crees culture, that they're about, strategy games are about building empire. It's a very uh, Western colonial industrial concept of what history is, which the Poundmaker Crees say they don't espouse and never been a part of. Um, so that became kind of a minor issue when they were introduced uh, into the game. Um, strategy games have this issue as well you know if if you look at you know Europa Universalis Rome the first one I can't talk about uh, Imperator the only chance really the Gauls have is to form a united Gaul and to do what Vercingetorix tried to do otherwise they get picked apart one by one and that is a very modern nation state way of looking at things that is not you know a Gallic uh, tribal way of looking yeah. at things uh, Carthage becomes a land empire in strategy games. It doesn't just, you can't survive as a trading empire, even though Carthage did, you know, just fine with, you know, mercenaries and a strong navy for hundreds and hundreds of years in a strategy game. It has to appoint governors that have vassals and not let the Numidians harass them in the south, you know, just conquer them and wipe them out and use their cavalry on your own. Um, so you, games themselves running, Rome is, when I say Rome is very, people look to Rome because it's kind of modern, it's because it is the prototypical modern imperial form with, you know, yes, it is vassal states, but it's largely local governors being ruled from the, the, the metropole. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I've, yeah, I've, I've talked about this in relation to, you know, the Germanic and Celtic societies too, in terms of how at least the, the more recent stuff that I've read, uh, that incorporates genetic evidence has really started to come down on the side that there was no Celtic diffusion from Latin. You know, there was really no Celtic invasion of Britain. Like the, the, the genetic evidence just doesn't support it. It was probably diffusion through trade and through association. You wanted to associate your local headman or whatever with this prestige culture of Celticism and I, I still haven't seen a, a strategy game that models that really well, or, you know, even the Germanic. There's a couple that have done okay. I would actually say Crusader Kings is maybe one of them. Uh, modeling, you know, the Germanic prestige culture, where it's it's not really about, you know, Hrolf Kraki went and invaded Sweden and set up in the King of Sweden's palace and, you know, ate all his food, and then he was just like, peace, I'm out of here. I proved I'm the better king. Uh, you can keep your stupid forests. I'm going home. Um, you know, it, it very much is. I I would definitely love to see strategy games move in a direction of modeling those other metrics of success other than empire building um, that that kind of existed beyond the Roman world and the later Western world that was informed by it. I think that stuff is. So much of that stuff does not feel 
directed though i i think like the other weird part is like the, the i think one of the reasons empires are appealing is because there's this allure they have so much agency they can mm-hmm. choose to affect their world like everyone can be subject to just evolving demographics through trade uh you know travel uh you know por- porous borders uh you know in the ancient world and, and the modern one like all that stuff can happen the world changes but like that is almost more the territory of like the god's eye view game maybe uh but not necessarily the i'm going to ch- like that that seems harder to make a compelling experience where like you are the person choosing to evolve things uh in that in that way and so i think we tend to default to these really uh imperialist forms because Mm -hmm. it's a hell of a lot it's a hell of a lot easier to model and a hell of a lot more fun probably to play to say i am going to romanize britain and launch the ships with their legions somewhat less fun to be like i'm going to romanize britain across several centuries of robust trade and infrastructure <laughs> development <laughs> and in grand officiating local marriages. Uh, that's a slightly less uh, dramatic dramatic story to tell. I think the, like, that's why a lot of things, a lot of the, a good analogy, I, I don't remember where I came across it, but ages ago, uh, history is a river and civilization is the stuff happen, happening along the banks. Um, and I think there's a reason why a lot of your games telling the stories of civilizations do tend to be like city builders and such, because those are the places where we make room for just life, right? For, 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 for the ordinary, for, for the mundane. And even there we ascribe ourselves probably too much agency in doing it. That's why I think one of my favorite Roman games ever is a really old, old DOS game called Annals of Rome. Uh, you can, I think you can play it on archive.org, where history is divided up into its various eras, and Rome is usually the strongest power. It will almost always, for most of its history, only Carthage can stand up to it. It is, it is the best armies. And you have a senate, you appoint the armies, uh, your generals from, and they can you know, take over places. But history happens to you no matter what. So when the, when, when the calendar changes... will come and fuck you up. When the calendar, when <laughs> the calendar, cha- yeah, when the calendar changes, the, the, you get new enemies. Uh, and then the, the, the Dacians show up. And then the Vandals show up. And you get to move your capital once. And do you move to Alexandria where you're kind of safe? Or do you keep it where you are? Uh, there will be civil wars. Historically, where civil wars were, uh, you will have generals marching on you. And they will just murder your Senate. You can have a really good Senate full cool. of generals. You're hoping for the next command. And they'll show up and they'll check their loyalty. And you'll lose a bunch of, you know, seven or eight generals. Uh, possible generals or, or, or governors. Um you have to deal. It's very simple. It's just taxes and levies are really the only thing in the game. Taxes, levies, and moving and managing your armies. That's all the game is. But it is about steering Rome through an, a history um, that comes at you. I mean, maybe you don't take Carthage fast enough. Well, that's too bad. Guess what? You know, the, the Germans are here, even if you haven't taken Carthage yet. And now you're getting squeezed on both sides. Um 
and I think it's, a, it's an outstanding game because first it, it teaches you a lot about Roman history. It teaches you, you know, where things are and who is important and when things are important. So for that, uh, it's very, very helpful. Um, <coughs> but it also captures so much in such a very, very simple design. It is such a small and cute game. Um, and I highly recommend people check out Annals of Rome. I wrote something about it many years ago when I did a blog series about Roman games. So you can find that on uh, my blog, Flash of Steel, which has not yet been updated in 2018, despite my very best efforts. <laughs> I played that one too. Um, and I tend to agree with Troy. I don't know that it's like an amazing game, but it's it's very good for making you feel like the, yeah. there's an ebb and flow of history um, and one of the things that it does is that you play as Rome. You're never not Rome. It's not yeah. built around the idea that you are Carthage, and they're not treated as equals. It's here is the protagonist of this story. I was actually going to go to another game from around those years uh, that I think is sort of the Ur-Roman game in the negative ways that we're talking about here, which is one of my first kind of pomp and circumstance of Rome games, which is Centurion Defender of Rome, uh, was released Ooh. in 1990, and it was a really bad game. But it was it a was really a bad, really bad game. It was a really bad game in a way that was like, here are the ideals of Rome. Here is the popular history concept of what Rome is and meant in all the ways that we're sitting around here talking about how the awful those are. Um, it, it, it is the ultimate. It is the ultimate Hollywood Rome game. Right. Like, there are three things that you do in this game, which are you move your armies and you fight your armies, you have chariot races, and you have gladiator fights. Like and you have and and naval battles. Oh, right, there were naval battles. So there are, there are two different forms of battles along with the chariot races and the, the gladiator. Uh, with, the, with the worst diplomacy. I, it's, it's non-existent. It, it's the sort of reverse of Annals of Rome in that um, or a mirror image, perhaps, where yeah. um, you, there's only Rome. Like, there are the, there's these provinces that can occasionally send an army after you, but they are functionally not things. They're just places to declare war on eventually, because the goal is to paint the map red. And all, you just decide, I'm going to move into you know Gaul at this point. And if you don't manage to take Gaul, then you wait a couple turns, and you send your army back, and you know how to do it. And like, there's uh, it had probably the most interesting thing about it was that it had real time battles before uh, the real time strategy conventions got set. And uh, one of the things you did at the start was you chose your formation and you chose like what your battle plan was going to be. And there was one that uh, was like, this is how I got introduced to the idea of Cane, which was one of those was the Cane maneuver where you pull the middle of your army back and then collapse from the right and the left automatically. And it's like, here is the dream of Rome, right? Here's a, the most famous battle in Roman history. Like, uh, just, you know, in this cinematic uh, defender of the crown type thing that... Uh, uh, just to name another one of Troy's bugaboos. Oh my god, I hate Defender of the Crown. But yeah, it's this idea of like pseudo-strategy to make it look like a movie. And it did all these things where it's just about the pomp of Rome. Like, you, why would you, as the person in charge of all of Rome, be doing chariot races? Because they make you money so you can raise your next army. That's it. Like you, you... Oh, Also to keep the people happy. Because oh. that's an important part of that game. You have to keep the people content. 
there is, you know, uh, the popularity is you need to keep from rioting. Uh, and you do that through, you know, through having games, which you can only afford, through getting enough taxes, which you can only get uh, through conquering more places. Um, I was disappointed. You, you, you can only seduce the, 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 the Queen of Egypt. You can't seduce any of the kings. <laughs> there was that. Yes, now I, I, it's all coming back to me. Uh, it is such a and, and like the, the only difference between various provinces is how strong the armies are. So you move into southern Gaul, and it's like the first place you could conquer. It's the easiest thing in the game. Um, you just like push them over, and they fall over. And you move into northern Gaul, and the army is like three times bigger. And you have to have a really strong legion to actually do that. And that's it. That's that's the entirety of like the strategic layer of the game. Uh, but it did. Well, the only reason Southern Gaul was so easy to conquer is that most of the major tribes were already working with Rome in a client relationship. They but, had gotten yeah, but their that's shit the point. together. This game just models that by <laughs> saying, "Here's a tight yeah, army." Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. there's there's no yeah. concept of anything other than here's a province to knock over. The province go heals over. Um, so this is why I prefer Greece to Rome. Uh, <laughs> That's a little facetious, although it is the, the Greece to Rome part is true. Way better like, writers. If I, if I, yeah. If I'm going through, you know, the history of Rome-centered computer games, um, like, some of them are total messes. And, like, I liked Annals of Rome, but I never felt, like, attached to it. And Centurion wanted me to feel attached to it because it was, like, the, the top tier of strategy gaming presentation of the era. And mm -hmm. it was also not very good. And then Caesar came along, and Rome got okay. I don't know. Are we missing something here, Troy? What, for the Roman games? Well, there are tons yes. of Roman games probably, we haven't talked about, but we don't have to go through them all because we'd be here all night. I mean, it would be worth doing some sort of lineage. But... Oh, God. <laughs> Troy, Troy just wants, yeah. to, Troy just wants <laughs> to go to bed. What, what do I mean, you want, but, Troy? But, but even you, even you start, even the start of the city builders. Yeah, we have like a bunch of different Caesars. We have like four of them, and then we have uh, the we have the Pharaxus's effort at that, the Civ City Rome, which I think is you know often neglected. Uh, Hamamont before they did uh, good games like Tropico, uh, made bad RTSs, uh, Celtic Kings, uh, Rage of War, and Nemesis of the Roman Empire. Um. There was Philip Thibault made a European Universalis like Roman game called Pax Romana, which I was the beta, a beta tester for. It was barely, barely complete. Um, and it was interesting because it, it had an actual, a good, actually, an, an election system for choosing the consuls uh, and the censors and praetors, uh, where you would play cards, you would be dealt cards, you'd be playing these effects through election season, like good omen, or slander your enemy, or murder a candidate, start a riot, uh, this sort of thing. And it was not a very good game, but I think it had a very good election system. Um, and it's uh, probably worth a look. Uh, yeah, you have the Total War games, you have, God, adventure games, so many adventure games. Wait, uh, really? Uh, 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 yeah, but so many. There's a uh, Rome Pathway to Power Hmm. Which was, uh, as I recall, you were a slave escaping. You were a slave escaping Pompeii, and then Pompeii the city, not Pompeii the the, the, oh, the, the, the man god general. You. 
Yes. Yeah, Pompey, <laughs> escaping Pompey or Herculaneum, one of them. And then you rise through deceit and deception to become emperor. Uh, there's a first-person mist-like thing called SPQR, a mystery-solving game set in Rome. There are a few adventure games that I recall uh, in it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, of course, you have the, the great battle series, and you have the Legion games, and uh, <laughs> the Hegemony <laughs> games. Yeah. Uh, some of which are quite good. Um, Asterix, you know, the, 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 the only Gaul who was worth a damn. Uh, you have... Hey, hey now. <laughs> uh, so there, there are quite a few op. There are quite a few games out, Roman themed games out there, and ancient themed games that attack that attach Rome to it. Uh, and plus, you know, of course, you have Roman civilization and Rome in Age of Empires, um, and Rome in Rise of Nations. And Rome always takes on, you know, like I said, the characteristics of having really good heavy infantry and being able to build stuff. Um. I mean, it's a very popular theme. It, for it's something that it's a topic everybody thinks they know something about, which is really the best thing yeah. for a history game. It's, I mean, it's about World War, if, World, if, World War II and Rome. Probably the two subjects you can get a lot of people thinking they know something about. And the Civil War for it's Americans. The, uh, and the Civil War, yes, American Civil War. It's it's the object of the daddy issues of all of Western civilization. <laughs> All right, we're going TJ Unleashed. That's what we're doing. <laughs> kill it, TJ. Kill, kill it. Kill. Oh, what? What? What do you want me to kill? You want me to kill Rome? It's already done. It's. It is. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. The, uh, the 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 Germanic tribes. All killed it took it, was uh, six centuries of careful ultimately. raid planning. Wow. And uh, and, they, and they finally took oh, it yeah. down. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. We, we, we can't forget the, the, the chariot racing sims. I really and do the, need the to give uh, Kvadriga a try. I should as well. And also, there are now a lot of g- gladiator management games on Steam. Really? Where you're caught? Yeah, where you're like you're running your own. That's awesome. You're, you're running your your domus and you are uh, training gladiators to fight. So it's kind of like out of the park baseball with more blood. So it's kind of like See, for, for for franchise hockey league, I guess. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about, like games where you're not playing as a state actor. Like I'd love a game. This is getting much further in history than we've talked about so far. But where you're like involved in like the blues and the greens in in Byzantium or something, and you can influence the politics of the Byzantine Empire by way of your association with the chariot TJ, teams. Like I would love to TJ. see games like that. No, just <laughs> the, the, TJ, TJ. Like you're. You need to you need to just make the make the Roman twine games that you have like in your heart. Like you Well, does anybody have no like a whole bunch of programmers and or have a lot of money? But that's that's the beauty of tri- yeah. of twine. It's super it's super <laughs> that, that's accessible. Of twine. True, true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean I I would like to actually get into one of these gladiator management games. Some of them are really um heavy on the pixels and some are really heavy on the blood um and my little experimentation with them shows that it's really hard to make money off things that die so you've got to make sure gladiator, except for gladiator rome itself <laughs> yeah but, but, yes <laughs> but you know you're, you're training gladiators and they have to survive you know they can't die of disease they have to be well fed Food is expensive. Oh, interesting. So, like, it, it deals with like the mortality rate outside the ring. 
Well, some of them do. Okay. I think that's yeah. interesting. <laughs> Well, well, well. At least they get weak, right? So if, if they're weak, they're not. They're, they can't fight. In other words, you're, you're, they're, they're eating your food. You're paying for them being in your school, and if they can't actually do anything with it, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, there, there, there are these Roman life type games. So I think I'd like to see more. I mean, they're not necessarily a Roman landholder game, but you know, like we do have the the chariot racing and the gladiators, which again are that's you know, Ben Hur. Plus gladiator. Yeah, I uh, I think increasing that. I just I would like to. I'm still I'm still thinking back to like uh, Rowan's experience with uh, Rome Total Realism uh, Arabic Seven uh, because <laughs> I do like like <laughs> I guess they the, the Creative Assembly did move in this direction a little bit with. Uh, Rome 2 as they tried to like they just kept releasing more expansions for it and more DLC but like I would be really interested in more narrowly scoped uh games about Rome probably then I have to just turn toward tabletop and see what's out there yeah well after after total war Britannia maybe they can do something really focused about Roman history. Sure. And after Total War Britannia, <laughs> I can assure you, there is nothing I want them to attempt less. <laughs> uh, okay, I think uh, that will do it for this week. God, I didn't even get to uh, historiography of Rome. I really want to talk about how fixated the Romans, the Romans were on trying to get back to true Roman virtue. Um, oh my god well they were and they weren't but it's all weird it, it, the Romans are weird they're, 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 they're weird they, cats they, 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 they said a lot of things and then lived a lot of things they they're just the, like us yeah they were they were I mean they were they were the original virtue signalers to take that term literally <laughs> uh, in the way it was originally intended that you know oh it's so important that we keep our costs down and we live a stoic life said Cato from his villa while drinking his face off. Uh, so, yeah. Stuffing his face with shellfish. I have always loved that Petronius dies way more stoically than uh, Seneca. That is, that's one of my favorite details, is that Petronius, like, the least stoic Roman in history... Like just go, it just goes to his death in the most Roman possible way, and then pretty much every other Roman who's like given the order to take his own life, uh, just is is terrified of the thought. And then Petronius, the 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 arbiter elegantiae, uh, is the one to be like, yeah, fuck it, let me show you, let me, let me show you how an aesthete meets his end. Oh, it's so good. All right, well, let's talk propaganda here. Like, let's talk at the historiography. Like, most of what we know about Rome are these tales of what it means to be good. Like, yeah. all of their history filtered through. Livy doesn't parable. know anything. Yeah, they, it's just like, here's what I think would be a cool way for this story to end. Isn't this guy awesome? We should all be like him. Like, yeah. And so this is part of the appeal of Rome, is that mm -hmm. it's already didactic. This is I, a teaching moment for us all, all thousand years of the Roman Empire. I, I regularly have to deal with people in Germanic studies whose entire perspective is informed by the fact that Tacitus 
wanted to hold these tribes up as some kind of mirror on how he thought Rome should be, which is its own little interesting can of worms. Oh, wow. So he he was like, now the Germans, they've got it figured out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that was... They're, they're, that they're was the, like the whole point, yeah. That, that's the whole the noble the, the the birth of the noble savage. I mean, Tacitus has that right down. Yeah, yeah. That's that's all Germania really was was about. Was like we've we've fallen into decadence, and these people are like how we used to be, and we should get back to that. And then some people in the nineteenth uh, and twentieth century and interpreted that in some unfortunate ways, and it's uh, still <laughs> still sticking around with us. The past is important. We should return to the past. We should live like lobsters. You know. <laughs> anyway, we'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Three Moves Ahead is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Troy, for Rowan, for TJ, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. Oh, we didn't talk about Curses and Orem. You wanted to end.